And one of the things that that I got complimented on at one point was that I said, I don't know a lot. Produced by Podcast Architects. You're listening to the Lead On Podcast, where we discuss experiences in the armed forces while exploring lessons from military leaders. Welcome to another edition of Lead On Lessons from Military Leaders. I'm David Deary, president of the Enlisted Leadership Foundation. And joining me today is John McLaughlin. A little bit about John, and I'm just going to read it right from his his sheet here. Uh, John is a former Army paratrooper who served across U.S. Europe in both Iraq and Afghanistan. And after beginning his career as as intelligence, he attended law school at the University of Virginia, became a JAG officer, uh, which we won't hold that against you, a JAG officer in D.C., a National Guard, where he was mobilized after the insurrection attempt on January 6th of 2021. We're not going to talk about this because that's not a, we're, we're not a political podcast, so that's just part of the bio. But one of the, yeah, it, you know, one of the things that I found really neat, and, and John will talk more about, that's the fact that he served as both uh, an NCO warrant officer and a commission officer in his time of service. So, uh, John, uh, good to see you again, and welcome uh, to Lead On Lessons from Military Leaders. Well, thank you very much for having me. I'm looking forward to discussing leadership and, and sharing some some insights and some both struggles I've had and some things I've learned along the way from them. Yeah, I, I am too. I, I really enjoyed uh, the time we got to spend last week getting to know each other and learning a little bit more about you. Uh, before we you know get into the meat of the conversation, I always like to ask our guests, you know, what's the worst piece of leadership advice someone ever gave John? Could have been before service or after service or during service? Well, I think the worst piece of advice, leadership advice I've gotten, I actually got twice. It's the same piece of advice. It was phrased two different ways, once in the military, once afterwards. In the military, it was, you mentioned I was, I've been a senior NCO warrant officer, now a regular officer, part-time in the National Guard. When I became a warrant officer, I went to WOCS, Warrant Officer Candidate School. And the course is designed for mid-career professionals, but often it would treat people like basic trainees. And one of the things that that I got told while I was there, and again, got told by somebody I actually respect a lot, who's a very good soldier, was that there needed to be more process, what I would call bureaucracy. At one point, I got an evaluation that said everything you were in charge of went well, but you were not, you needed to be more involved in the planning and the emails and the communication. And I'm sitting there thinking, well, if I was in charge and everything went well, why did I need to send more emails? What problem would I have been solving exactly? And I later heard that again, when I was working as a Pentagon contractor, so sort of in the military, I guess. And this was during the pandemic when I was on a team that involved a lot of travel and we couldn't travel anymore. And one of my teammates, who again, good guy, trying to look out for me, said, I'm worried about you. I think I need to see more emails from you. And I didn't say this directly, but I'm like, more emails about what? It's a pandemic. We're a a travel team that can't travel anywhere. Like I'm trying to be very attentive to answering any questions that come up and showing that I'm just as committed to the job as I was before. But I'm not sure adding more administrative tasks, we'll call them, to anyone's plate is actually going to help. So that's probably the worst piece of advice I've gotten is when people want to focus on process instead of results. Yeah, you know, it's a, such a good point. It, admittedly, it's really easy to be caught up and managed through email. I've been guilty of it. I've known a lot of people that have been guilty of it. In fact, over the last few years, you know, before the pandemic and through it, I tried to make a more concerted effort personally at just picking up a phone and just, oh my goodness, make a phone call uh, if you really want to mess with somebody. 
make a phone call without sending a text first that says, hey, are you free? But, you know, that's that, that's a story from another time. But, but you're absolutely right. Uh, there's a time and a place. There's there's certainly some good use for emails and correspondence. Um, but listen, if the success is there, however you did it, obviously was good. So uh, why did you join the military in the first place? The, the short answer is 9-11. At least that was the impetus for me thinking about joining the military. I had graduated from undergrad in May of 2001 sleeping on a buddy's couch and had planned to go into journalism, having already worked as a, a journalist and a speechwriter while in school. 9-11 happens, decide I want to learn Arabic, look around uh, at where I might be able to do that, and obviously the military is one option. And the more time I spent around military folks during the, the decision process, the more I realized that they, as a group, really had something that I lacked, had some character traits that hadn't been developed in me, and ones I thought were important and would do me a lot of good to be around. So both the skill of learning Arabic and the more personal development I wanted to undergo both pointed me towards joining the military. Okay, really good. So uh, so our audience knows, you. John wrote a book recently called How to Deal with Damn Near Anything. And uh, the subtitle is The Paratrooper's Guide in Life, or to Life. You know, so we'll talk a little bit more about the book towards the end, but much of what we will discuss you'll probably be able to find in the book as well as some of the stories in that book and you know we were talking a lot when it comes to to leadership traits i like to be able to hone in and really um you know tear apart if you will or explore certain leadership qualities the one thing that we we kind of landed on uh, was transparency so you know give us an example of where transparency whether somebody wasn't transparent because oftentimes we I think oftentimes we invest in a certain leadership trait because of how something negative happened to us how somebody maybe wasn't very transparent or even even I wasn't transparent in a situation that uh, I failed at and I learned man if I would have been a little bit more transparent here a little bit more open it could have avoided some of these uh, tumultuous issues so you know what made you land upon transparency what made me land on transparency was it was one of the things I identified as being the biggest difference between leadership in the military and leadership elsewhere. And in the military, we spend so much time around each other that it is a lot more difficult to present a, a carefully curated version of yourself to other people. And whereas in the civilian world, sometimes even people that you work with, you may see them occasionally, if even supervisors, depending on how your, your team or your, your workplace is structured, you may not see your boss that often even. So it's a lot easier to decide to put a lot of effort into presenting yourself a certain way. It is a lot easier to divert that effort into trying to just be that way. And to the extent that's not possible, to the extent you're, you're trying to work on something, it's best to be transparent about the fact that that's still a work in progress. And one of the things that that I got complimented on at one point was that I said, I don't know a lot, which sounds like a funny thing to, to be complimented on. And part of it is knowing if you're in a position where you need to know, you may not have the flexibility to say, I don't know all the time. So you have to be aware of your circumstances. But in this circumstance, I was around a lot of headstrong people. I could be a bit headstrong myself. And it was seen as a virtue that I was willing to say, I didn't know how this thing worked. Can you tell me how it works? Rather than uh, choosing not to be transparent about where I was at and putting myself in a position to fail later where people overestimated how much knowledge I had about a particular thing. Yeah, fake it till you make it, right? 
Uh, exactly. Which is it, it, it's okay sometimes, sometimes, but you gotta you gotta pick and choose. And a lot of times, people understandably they feel the pressure. They want to be seen as knowledgeable. They want to be seen as an expert. But you, you gotta be careful about where you decide to to puff your chest out or show your feathers, and where you decide to admit that you're still learning. You know, well, number one, we're always still learning, right? I I think when a leader when a leader is resigned to the fact that there's nothing more no, nothing more to be learned. Well, it's time to maybe uh, change jobs, uh, but you know I can um, I can remember man way back when I was a E6 in the Navy, and we had this young uh, junior officer 01 or 02 check on board the ship as our division officer, and he stood every watch and radio with us, and and he came in to learn our jobs and his feeling uh, he says listen I don't know what I'm supposed to advocate for you on when I get asked by the department head. I need to be a little bit more intelligent and understanding what you do. I don't know. And he earned so much respect from us that he was willing to say, I don't know. And fast forward, when I was a command master chief, when you enter the command master chief program, uh, there's an interview process that takes place. And and I used to tell the candidates that, that I would talk to, I'd say, you know, it's okay to say, I don't know. Uh, very seldom do those those snap decisions need to happen right away. And more often than not, it's going to be better to say, I don't know, but I can get back to you in a couple hours or in a day based on the situation to give the best, most accurate answer. Because I found that when I did take a swag, I'm always going back and updating it or correcting, and I lose a little bit of stock. You know, what a lot of people, I'll just add one more little comment and then turn it back over to you. But, you know, a lot of, a lot of people non-military and i think this is this is important to recognize they they don't understand that a vast majority of what we do is in a, a training environment and in this training environment when we're preparing uh for when that balloon goes up and we have to uh, go do what we're training for we we don't have to make those snap decisions that's you know in a training environment you have the time to make the best most accurate decision so that when it's real life and you have to make that quick decision, well, you, you've got some experience, you, you know how to assess it, you know how to take everything in. Well, that's one of the core reasons I wrote the book, honestly, was I didn't realize, well, you know, when you're in the military, virtually everyone around you is in it too. So you don't necessarily have a lot to contrast it with. And I got out and after a few years of being out full-time, still being in part-time, but living as a normal civilian the vast majority of the time, I realized that that ethos of training and improvement was what really set the military apart. And I understand that most of the books and movies that are uh, made about the military focus on combat. I get that. I went to both Iraq and Afghanistan. I was on 100, 200 something patrols. I, I understand why the, those stories get told and they should always be told. But there's other stories, like you mentioned, that are about training. And they don't make for dramatic movies and that's fine. I'm not saying that anyone should start taking Tom Cruise out of his airplane and start sticking him in yeah, a classroom. No, don't don't do that. Hours. No, I don't think that would work for anybody, but in book form, maybe it's a little more approachable for people to learn more about how that culture of development can benefit people who don't go anywhere near and aren't interested in going anywhere near the military. You know, and I just think you, you make a couple comments, uh, culture, uh, we could talk about humility by saying, I don't know, all, um, all parts of being transparent, right? I mean, it's, it, you gotta, I mean, transparency, uh, so affects the culture of an organization. And that organization could be as big as whatever business you're at today to as big 
and it's the two or three people that you're you're supervising because it has an effect overall. And and to be a, a humble servant leader, uh, you know, just it, there's so much to be gained by transparency because it it touches so many other leadership touch points, especially those leadership touch points that the leadership gurus often say they're great qualities to possess. Um, you and know, I, so, I try to encourage people briefly before we move no, on, yeah. trust people to trust the authority of your position, that you don't need to come in and convince everybody you're in charge. Just understand that the default setting, if you're a leader, is that you're in charge. And you don't need to act like that authority needs to be reaffirmed every 30 seconds. It comes off as needy. It comes off as power hungry. Instead, trust that people understand that you're in charge and that you don't have to push too hard. Now, if obviously if somebody's being insubordinate or there's there's other types of problems, you may need to push harder than you do otherwise. But your default setting can't and shouldn't be everybody look at how in charge I am or you're going to burn people out and and you're not going to be able to be transparent with them because you feel like you have to keep up this facade of absolute power. Oh, so true. Man, that's a great that's a great point. That's a great point. So was there was there any um, leader in your life that part of the significance or the impact that they had on you uh, was their transparency? Uh, at the end of the day, all all roads lead back to a man named Scorpion King. Not his legal name, although it probably could have been. Uh, but legal name, as far as I know, Drill Sergeant Smith, my basic training senior drill sergeant. And at one point he left during the middle of our training cycle. And we went from seeing him all the time to not seeing him at all. And we weren't really sure why, because as you know, basic trainees, we're not entitled to a lot of information about the, the HR status of our cadre. And it turned, we were told at one point he had gotten in a motorcycle accident been hit by a car. And he came back and he spent the rest of his time in basic training with us walking with this giant walking stick. The man was too tough for crutches. It just wouldn't have matched the vibe. So he, he came back with this, this giant walking stick and, and talked to us about what had happened. And he was everything you could ask for out of a drill sergeant. He did, he was not, I'm sure he has a favorite restaurant or a favorite movie. I don't know any of his normal person personality traits. And I hope I never find them out because he was mythic, but he still took the time instead of just ignoring the fact he'd been gone to sit down with us and talk with us, you know, not not at length and didn't get deep into his feelings, but to to be willing to talk to us as people who he respected, even if we were people he was still in charge of. And you can show respect like that without giving up your authority. And he was willing to do that by being transparent about what had happened and why he was gone. And it, it allowed us to, to it, anything, it deepened our respect for him because he was coming from a place where he, he felt confident enough to, to share those details with us instead of just keeping us in our little basic trainee box and not telling us anything about the world outside of what we had to do five seconds from now. Oh, yeah. You know, again, being transparent, sharing, uh, sharing your woes. And, you, you know, you never know. A leader doesn't know how their transparency is going to impact in a positive nature on trust and, and whether so, somebody could trust them. Now, I guess you could also go too far being transparent, right? You can, you know, overshare or, you know, hey, I'm a funny, you know, I'm a funny guy and start telling jokes and things like that, which could have a negative effect on, on the trust and, and the respect as I mean, if there's no respect, there won't be their trust. And, you know, how many, how many times have we heard in our military career, I don't have to like you, I just have to respect you. I don't have to like you as a person, but I'll respect you and your rank. Well, you know, translate that. I don't trust you. 
uh, I will give you the bare, bare minimum. Um, have you ever experienced any oversharing events or wrote about anything in your book? Yeah, unfortunately, uh, you know, the military can be tough on domestic relationships. And some, and I understand when that bleeds over into work. I've, I've seen it happen. I was, I, happened, I was single the whole time I was full-time Army. I'm married now, so I didn't have to juggle that. But I certainly have much respect for everybody who does. So if that's not going well for you, your coworkers may not be the people who need to know that in any detail. Sometimes if something's personal, one very oblique reference is plenty. Just say, ah, oh, it's been kind of a rough week at home or just something like that. And that's it. You've got to, self-awareness is king when it comes to that kind of thing and avoiding oversharing. Just one little drop to give people the idea that you're, balance, you're, you're going through some things is plenty. So you're right that oversharing is transparency doesn't mean translucency. It doesn't mean being so, so uh, uh, flimsy in the walls you set up that everybody gets to see everything. It just means letting in enough light at the right times to round out how you deal with people as a leader. But no, people should definitely, and this is where self-awareness is key. Tap your, tap your peers on the shoulder and say, hey, you know, I'm going through a rough time right now. Maybe you got a medical thing. Maybe you got a family thing. Keep an eye on me. Let me know if you think if it's affecting my work. Pick somebody you trust because it's going to be hard if you're already going through something to monitor yourself in the moment like that. You need other people to help you. Be, you need other people to be transparent with you <laughs> about how you're doing. And that if you can cultivate that culture of respectful honesty, then you can get the feedback you need from peers so that you're also dialing the right level when it comes to both managing up and downwards. Yeah, you know, great, great point. So, you know, one thing that... that <clears throat> I love about uh, those of us that wear the cloth of our nation or wore the cloth of our nation or money, in my case, uh, you know, so much of these, you know, being transparent. Listen, I think that we're way transparent in the military because we share that common bond. And when we deploy, the person to your right and your left is your family. And so you tend to be more transparent. Um, but, but we get to practice how much or how little and all these other leadership traits before we transition into a uh, civilian world. So, you know, thinking about that yourself, um, you know, what was your purpose in, in writing this book? And is the, is the book written uh, uh, like from you back to the military community to help as they transition out? Is it written to the civilian community uh, as we transition out to help them better understand, which is always one of the, the big uh, talking points with transitioning service members? What was or is this just a, something that you've always wanted to do and so you just knocked it out and took it off the bucket list? It was not something I always wanted to do. I thought I was going to be the last guy when I got out full time to write a book about the military. I just thought, hey, there's plenty of books. What do I have to add? I didn't, you know, I had a good career. I'd like to think I did well, but I didn't do anything. You know, I didn't kill Osama. So I, I, there was no need for me to necessarily get out there and get in front of the first TV camera that I saw. What I learned was and what the main goal of the book is, is that there is the hidden side of the military that we discussed a little bit earlier that's about training and personal development. And the reason I wrote the book is when I realized how absent that is from the civilian world. And it's absent for understandable reasons. It would be a little bit awkward if a civilian job or a college tried to get in your business like the military does. The military is a different environment. But that doesn't mean you can't take lessons from that environment and apply them. So I'd say, to give you a straighter answer, it is mainly written for people in civilian life whether that's people who have always been civilians or military folks that are headed that way. That being said, it, I think it would have been useful for me as a soldier to know what, how good I had it in terms of 
the number of people and the amount of resources focused on my development when I was in uniform. I probably would have valued it a bit more and, and maybe put more effort in than I did. Uh, so I think there's a use for it there, but it's mainly directed at folks who are either outside the military or headed outside the military. Yeah, you know, and I appreciate that. Um, I think there's, you know, going back to that bond that I mentioned earlier, to, to be able to have a resource while we're serving um, from somebody who writing from a perspective of what we've gone through. And it doesn't matter the branch of military. It, it, it all, you know, we may wear a different color uniform. We use, maybe, maybe use a little different acronyms. But we have shared experiences and shared stories. And, and I do think that this, this book will help any currently serving uh, as they prepare um, for, for a transition. Because you're, you're speaking, you're writing it from that perspective as well, right? As somebody who's, who's taking your experiences. And, and then to value the training um, that we do receive. Um, important for the English Leadership Foundation uh, because we, we started because some of the enlisted leadership development that I received growing up in the ranks um, over 15 years ago, those the formal schoolhouses in the Navy were actually uh, closed down due to the war effort. And so they're slowly coming back, different different things are starting to take place. But, you know, uh, that's how the Enlisted Leadership Foundation started as, as a, let's see if we can provide some enlisted leadership development to the, to, to the sailors which then uh, exploded, and so now we have all branches of military that attend our programs. Uh, and you know, for that reason, I, I really, I really appreciate the book and appreciate the time to have you on board and just share a little bit about your experiences, the value of being a transparent leader, and how important that is. And is there ever a time in your experience uh, moving up through the ranks that um, transparency decreases? Does it stay the same, or do you think uh, uh, the higher up you go, the more it should increase? What's your experience? I think it does decrease. And one of the things is it's inevitable. The higher up you get in the military, the more it becomes like an office job anywhere. And I'm not saying that, that you can take that away or that you should necessarily try to. It's okay for different echelons at an organization to have different social norms. But, you, but some of the reasons for, we'll call it forced transparency, that exist at lower levels, as you mentioned, people being in close physical space all the time, people knowing each other's moods and each other's struggles more than you would know in a civilian job. Some of those things go away as people sometimes just literally get more physical space to themselves and are able to stay in a bubble of their own creation if they want to in a way that they couldn't indulge when they were lower ranking. I think that transparency is just as important. Now you shouldn't, it, it, it was one of those things where the more you're like an office environment, the more you have to keep in mind that transparency that you create has to be created for a reason. You don't need to be imposing burdens on people or introducing awkward situations. You, you need to be able to pick the right level of transparency, but the right level is almost never zero. And, I, and avoiding awkwardness is something people should remember, but even when you've reached that higher echelon, you have to make sure that you're willing to embrace temporary awkwardness in the name of longer lasting results. Now, usually that awkwardness comes in the form of honesty about professional performance, not in terms of personal stuff or struggles. But sometimes people don't want to have those, those even those small conversations about, hey, that, that let's take it from an office perspective. That briefing didn't go well. That memo didn't quite turn out how we hoped. It's better you tell somebody right now up front and be transparent with them than wait until it gets three echelons up and everybody thinks that Captain Smith or 
uh, Command Master Chief Smith doesn't know what he's doing because nobody was transparent with him at a lower level because he was going to retire soon or he's an ornery guy and nobody wants to criticize him. And there's all these little reasons that people can avoid having those those moments of transparency. But it is usually people are right to, you know, every situation is different, but people should start from a place of trying to be transparent and honest and then at least having a good reason not to be. Those good reasons exist, but people should beware defaulting to not doing anything. Yeah, you know, we could, boy, if we had more time, we can go into counseling and how important it is to, uh, to give uh, feedback and counseling. But unfortunately- I'll brief, I'll, One brief nugget then, in the book, it talks about why mentorship programs are so hard for civilian jobs. That's something that I was surprised. I thought, you sign somebody a mentor, they meet occasionally, they have honest conversations. There's a whole- universe of research about how mentorships and civilian jobs can be counterproductive. People are afraid to have mentors because they think if their mentor doesn't like them, they'll sabotage their career. And that can actually happen. So no, you're right to 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 bring that up. And it is something that, that is discussed more at length there. And it's it's way more complicated than it seems to even engage in those simple sorts of uh, training environments. That's, that's a great teaser. Uh, to motivation to go get the book. So listen, uh, before we before we end, I, I like to close with, a, with another question. Uh, what's the luckiest leadership error you ever or mistake you ever got away with? You know, a bad decision that could have really gone bad, but you dodged a bullet. So the, the first one that comes to mind is in Iraq, and this is not a combat story. I consciously avoid those stories in this because I want things people can relate to anywhere. I was given, somebody said, who wants to be roommates with, we'll call him Z. Z had some issues. And I, you know, I'm an NCO at the time, I'm an E6, and I'm sorry, it was E5 then. And nobody else wanted to room with the guy. And I'm like, you know what, I, I can't ask a junior person to do this if I'm not willing to do this. Give me the guy as a roommate. The guy, he was everything he was advertised to be in terms of being a problem. And... It turned out that he got sent home uh, for some for some worrying behavior. Nothing. Nobody came to any harm. His his military career ended probably where it should have, or slightly later. But it was a awkward environment for me to be sure. But but the reason it turned out to be a bad good decision or a good bad decision was not only did I get a much more up close look at what a troubled soldier looks like, and it definitely equipped me better to deal with uh, similar situations in the future, but I didn't realize the amount of brownie points I got from everybody else for living with this guy. I thought I was just kind of doing it because somebody needed doing it. And sometimes if you just do the right thing as a leader without anybody knowing that that people are paying attention, it's funny. Sometimes they're not looking as much as you think. Sometimes they're looking a lot more. And the only way to square that circle is just try to do the right thing every time. And that way, when people are looking, they'll see what they need to see. And if they're not, oh, well, they'll look next time. So yeah, living with that guy, not the best decision for my for my sanity necessarily in the short term, but it worked out for my development in the long term. That's great. That's great. Uh, you've been listening to John McLaughlin, who's a writer, a professor, a lawyer, and a soldier. John's the author of a book called How to Deal with Damn Near Anything. After a uh, military career, now he's, he's still in the National Guard serving our country. Uh, I'm going to um, offer... Uh, those the, the the in the in the comments below on this podcast, you'll see a uh, a website, and the, the first twenty listeners that goes to that website and leaves some feedback on this podcast, uh, you will receive a link for a free download of John's book. So 
uh, go to that podcast, give us some feedback, and receive your book uh, so you can learn more about John, some of uh, the leadership stuff, transparency, and other things, that chapter on mentorship, and, uh, you know, bless somebody with it, and, and hopefully up-level up your leadership journey as well. John, I, I want to thank you again for your service. Thank you for joining me today. Any Any final word? Thank you for having me. My enlisted time, my first about 10 years in the Army, will, will always be the core of my service and honestly the core of my personality. And it's something that is deeply meaningful to me and anything I can do to, to talk with or to contribute to enlisted leadership and development is, is the best possible use of my time and energy. So thank you for giving me the chance to do that. Well, it's my pleasure. Thank you. Well, once again, this has been another edition of Lead On, Lessons from Military Leaders, hosted by the Enlisted Leadership Foundation. Tune in next time uh, to meet our next guest. Thank you. Produced by Podcast Architects.